everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me today is, uh, it's just me and you, John. John Schwartz is here. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Happy, you know. happy Hope Week. Happy Hope Week. Um, so we're right in the middle of the 10th annual Hope Week, which is the week every year that the Yankees go out into the community and make a difference. They shine a spotlight on organizations or individuals who otherwise don't really get the opportunity to be lifted up in this way. So how was your event yesterday? You did Tuesday's event. I did Monday's event. It is Wednesday today. And you're going to be hearing this on Friday. So we will have finished Hope Week by then. But really, Hope Week lives on. Hope Week is forever. Uh, yesterday was, you know, it was a really nice event. People might remember in mid-April, um, the Yankees released a video um, lending support to a young girl who had made her own video holding, you know, white note cards with a message about how she had been bullied. And kind of the point of the message was, you know, we got your back. Bullying, obviously, we won't stand for it. And also, you know, if they won't let you have lunch with them, you come have lunch with us. Her name is Cassidy. She came out. She got to see the clubhouse, you know, with her family. And then the Yankees brought her over to uh, Heritage Field, side of the old Yankee Stadium, where they played kickball with a bunch of Yankees players. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, re- you know, legit Yankees player. <laughs> the tall guys. The tall guys. Dellen was there. You know, they played kickball. They were joined by a group from a bunch of kids from a group called No Bully. Um, which really works to eradicate bullying in schools. And it was just, you know, it, it was really I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous. I, it was just a very hopeful and optimistic and sweet day. I, I was talking to someone yesterday, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of people here in the organization when I say this. You know, this is the real world, and things are busy. Things are hard. I am certainly <laughs> known to uh, have a little bit of cynicism in how I approach things and how I view some things. And, you know, whatever it is, I don't know what does it but like i have zero cynicism when it comes to hope week hope week is just one of those things that every year it is a lot of work it is a lot of running around you know this year we're trying to close a magazine at the same time it always seems to fall on like a deadline week too it's not not an ideal week for us but (laughs) it's also just like you watch these players i think that austin romine had more fun than any of the kids the event was for yesterday and you could just see how much they're enjoying getting to do this kind of stuff and it's nice and it's also just an unallied good i Mm -hmm. think Yeah, same thing on Monday. We did, we're in Westchester County with the Muddy Puddles Project, which is, was formed after um, a little boy named Ty died of brain cancer in his family. His mom asked him when he was going through treatment what he wanted to do most when he was better, and all he wanted to do was jump in muddy puddles. And so after he passed away, his family in lieu of flowers asked that they send, that their friends and family send pictures of their children or people they know just jumping in muddy puddles and they got so many of those pictures back that they they had to do something they knew it was kind of a movement so they formed this foundation and every year they have a mess fest where they just get kids coming in and and jumping around in mud throwing some paint throwing pies in people's faces and this year the yankees joined them and they got muddy they got messy they were messing around with um with a lot of kids who either are going through treatment or their families are supporting the cause. And it was just an amazing day. And Jenny, Jennifer Steinbrenner Swindle, um, general partner and vice chairperson of the Yankees, uh, George Steinbrenner's daughter, is huge in these events. And she comes every year. She tries to go to every single event. And she, too, was getting muddy with these uh, with these kids. It's It was, like you said, John, it was a really hopeful day. It was a fun day. It was just a day away from baseball in 
and an opportunity for the Yankees to do some good and bring some joy to people who are otherwise struggling. It's- you know, I mean, you know what the funny thing for me, and you know, not to get too uh, weepy when I say this, you know, there are a lot of days when I go home trying to think of, you know, maybe ways that I could be a better writer, maybe I could be a better editor, um, and a better employee, whatever. But God, I was fact checking your story about money puddles, and I literally went home that day, like trying to think of ways that I could be a better father. Like I'm just thinking about like all these times that I say no to my kids, and just the message of this was just like say yes to your kids. You know, the, your kids want to jump around in the mud, like. You know, you can vouch for this, Hillary. The mud came out. Like it, it, it probably took a while and a lot of work, but the mud came out. I did. I did also jump in the mud for the listeners. I was quite muddy. It it does. It comes out. You yeah. know, it takes. You know, you take a really long shower that day, <laughs> but the fun that you have in the meantime, just throwing mud around with your friends and with with kids and just having a good time. It's it's worth the dirty clothes and the three <laughs> loads of laundry that you have to do later. It's just. It, it's a very. Look, I mean, there are three more events uh, the rest of the week, which, you know, well, some of the nature of Hope Week is that this stuff kind of stays secret until it happens. Um, You know, but obviously you'll be able to read about the stuff both on Yankees.com and also in Yankees Magazine in July. But it's just, you know, again, there's a lot of reasons when it comes to Major League Baseball teams to be cynical about a lot of things. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we're not a house organ. I'm not going to pretend that, you know, we don't maybe look at some things in the sport with rose-colored glasses. But it's just it's very hard to see a negative in Hope Week. It's just a really wonderful thing that the Yankees do. It's a wonderful idea by the team's head of communications, Jason Zillow. And you lead up to the week and you're very busy. You get through the week and you're exhausted. But just every time you're at one of these events and – you know, you're seeing the kids smiling and you're seeing the players smiling. It's just really hard not to appreciate. We get to be a small part of something like this every year. Yeah, it's always inspiring to me. And I don't know, giving back, it's probably my Catholic upbringing and all the years in Catholic school, but I've been taught as a person and it's just important to me to, to give back as much as you can. So to see the Yankees do this and to be a part of it is is always inspiring to me as well. So. And I... You know, there, there are stories that don't always get told about this stuff. And, you know, some of them, you know, they shouldn't be told because it's people who choose to do things, you know, for themselves and on their own. And, you know, everyone kind of knows little secondary pieces of the Hope Week stories of, you know, things that happen when the cameras kind of turn off that are pretty wonderful to hear. And just one thing I'll say, there's doing everything that's right, you know, kind of for the players to give these kids a good time. And I, I just got to say, the, the little girl yesterday who was at the center of this event, Cassidy, you know, this was a lot. This was a lot to deal with. The event, just for a little backstory, was right across the street from Yankee Stadium, which meant that, like, a lot more players signed up than usual. A lot more media was willing to come because there was a game that night and it was an easy yeah. event to be a part of. This was just a lot to deal with for what seems like a fairly shy girl. And you could see at times that she wasn't that comfortable with all the attention. And I'm telling you, there was not a minute that... Dellen Batansis was not standing by her side, not, you know, trying to attract attention and not trying to be loud and get the cameras looking when he was doing, but he was just standing next to her and just basically saying like, you know, Hey, you know, are you okay? You know, let's have some fun. Let's do stuff. It was quiet. He's quiet. It was quiet. It wasn't a lot of the players were doing a great job, you know, being kind of like hype men and MCs and really trying to get the kids fired up. Dellen was just trying to make sure that she was okay the whole time. And it was really special to see. you know, Dellen's not, as young a player as he might seem sometimes. I'm, I think, what, he's 28 or 29? Yeah, he's in um, his late 20s now. Yeah, I mean, he seems like still a kid in some ways because um, he's so quiet, I think. But like you just saw just a real good person, like knowing kind of what this girl needed at that moment. And it wasn't, you know, everyone kind of 
around her going crazy. It was just someone kind of standing with her and just, you know, telling her it's cool and you do what you want to do. Yeah, you really get to see a different side of the players, uh, especially when you take them out and you put them in situations like this. You see that these are just human beings. They're good guys and they want to do good as well. They want to impact their communities and use their platforms that they're given. And the Yankees give them a huge platform to, to make a difference. And I think a lot of the guys use it well. And you know, and it's like you do this stuff and you see this stuff and everyone has fun and everyone laughs and everything like that. And then there's a baseball game that night and it's just, you know, it's a couple hours later and then you're just watching the guys do what you're used to seeing them do. You saw on Monday, star of the show, Didi Gregorius throwing mud on everybody. And then, you know, <laughs> last night he hits two home runs and it's just to a lot of people kind of like the amazing things that they do are the two home runs. And it's just kind of cool to see the other amazing things that some of these guys can do. So, you know, yeah. we, we've said enough about this probably. <laughs> um, I will point out that, you know, in the spirit of Hope Week, one story that we really were very excited to get into uh, the June magazine, which just went on sale on Tuesday night is a story that you wrote about the foundations that players establish, the work that they do in the community. Um, you know, Hope Week is one Yankees-oriented event of this nature, but, you know, there are so many players on this team, and, you know, you could start right off with the picture and the opening spread, CC Sabathia. I mean, baseball is very much one part of what, what kind of work these guys do. Mm-hmm. I will, before I let you speak, I will uh, make a point that I made to you during the editing <laughs> process. I sometimes recoil. Um, you know, I, I understand how the world works and I understand, you know, what is and what isn't important. And I sometimes push back when you start dealing with players, charities, things, when people say, you know, this is the stuff that's really important is the charity work and, you know, baseball doesn't matter. I think baseball does matter. I think that what these guys do is important. I think that the market speaks and, Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people sometimes, you know, get caught up in that. And there's obviously importance there. But that should not take anything away from the way that they use the platform that their fame from baseball offers them. And I think you did really a terrific job highlighting not just a bunch of the different guys, but a bunch of the different like philosophies and methods that they use. This is not a new topic for you. You covered it a lot in your David Robertson story. I know it's, you know, something that's really close to your heart. So just what what surprised you, I guess, in the reporting of this? I think so. The idea for this story really started kind of over the off season. I was doing a, a very small piece on on Ben Heller and he and his wife. Ben Heller is one of our minor league pitchers. He was up a little bit last year in the majors and is recovering from surgery this year. So he's on the DL. But he and his wife went to Guatemala for a mission trip and it's huge in his life. And this is a young guy. He's not even really in the majors yet. He's had a few games up here, but giving back is so important to him. And then it made me think of all the guys in the clubhouse who also give back and why that's important to him. And I just wanted to kind of get to the root of what drives them. Why do they want to do it? And so what surprised me is, is how young that they start. Like I was talking to Luis Severino who is a very young man. He's like 23 years old and he's been in the majors for a few years now, but he for two years already has been trying to form this foundation with his wife in the Dominican Republic where they're from because Luis Severino grew up in a not great neighborhood going to schools with not great supplies and he made it you know, to the major leagues and has this opportunity to give back and he wants to give other people this opportunity to give back. And I think that's what drives a lot of the guys is someone like CeCe Sabathia too, grew up in Vallejo, California, also with a single mom who was working two jobs and he didn't have all the resources that he needed. He spent a lot of time at the Boys and Girls Club and that made an impact on him. So it's, it's, 
I think how these guys grew up and what left a lasting impact on them is what makes them want to give back, which makes total sense. Like CeCe Sabathia does so much work with Boys and Girls Clubs and his foundation, the Pitch In Foundation, which he formed with his wife, Amber, is all about serving kids in the inner cities, which is where both CeCe and Amber grew up in Vallejo, and just giving them opportunities that they might not otherwise have. And, you know, one thing I, I've always admired about the Sabathias and the work they do, you know, and I, and I don't mean this in any kind of negative way. I hope it doesn't come off that way. They chose a small subject, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I had an opportunity a few years back to do some work with the foundation. I ran the New York City Marathon with CeCe's team. And you won it, didn't you, I, 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 I quite <laughs> surely did not win it. I think I got, I think I got second. I, I ran with his team, and I wrote a story about the fund, fundraising process and all the work the charity does. And, you know, one thing she said to me is, you know, they could be just any other charity raising money for cancer. And that would be wonderful. Yeah, you know? that'd be great. It'd cancer be is a good thing to raise money for. But she felt, you know, I wasn't personally affected by cancer. Mm-hmm. This is something that's near and dear to my heart. This is something that means something to me to help these kids out. And I'll tell you, you know, you, get, you, you spend a couple hours <laughs> with uh, that foundation and you become a member for life. Um, I am still constantly getting emails from them and trying to figure out ways to go to their events and handle things and work with them. And that's their goal. They really say that like, you know, you don't just, you know, donate a little bit of money and then your, you know, work with the Pitch In Foundation is done. They expect if you're going to run with that team that you're going to constantly be with them. And you see that. You see that in the way that they're always out there and they're always, and, and CeCe's always talking about this stuff. Amber's always talking about this stuff. They have their big uh, uh, charity softball game at the end of June, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of celebrities, all kinds of athletes, and they're going to raise a ton of money. And th- that money is going to be directed to a very specific cause, right. which is important to them. So it's, it's really special. Yeah. When I was reporting the story, it's, it's so important to both the Sabathias and Amber said something I found really impactful. She said that she's worried that when CC eventually retires, that the foundation will retire. She doesn't want that to happen, which is why I think it's so important that they form these relationships with not only the people that give back, but the other players in the clubhouse who CC is with every single day. It's so important to CC as a leader, as a veteran, to not only be a leader on the field, but to be a leader off the field. And he'll tell you that himself. He wants to set an example for all of the young guys like you are given this platform you're given this opportunity and you don't have to use it you can do whatever you want with it but if you choose to do good there's so much good that you can do and it really reminds me of when carlos beltran was still here i remember very vividly it was i guess it was the 2014 season it was jeter's last season there was a sunday afternoon that was dark jeter day it was a big bold letter day at the stadium kind of a lot of stuff going on the team was off on monday i think it was it might have been their last off day of the season maybe they had one more after that but it was you know september and these guys are exhausted sunday night Beltron's foundation had an event and I'm telling you like nearly every member of the team was there and you just got this sense that like the players know that this is part of you know the lifestyle right that that they're expected to do some of this stuff and it doesn't need to be something they send a press release about every time it doesn't need to be something but you know they're going to be there and they're going to support their teammates in doing this stuff and I agree you, you brought it up before I could get to it but you know this concern that Amber has and that CC has that you're only important as long as you're a major league baseball player you could see the work that they're doing right now to make sure that that doesn't end with his career 
you know, another thing that your story reminded me of was a couple years ago, I was doing a one page thing on a Brett Gardner community event. Uh, and it was during the summer and it was him helping out distribute food and supplies in a, some, you know, basketball court near the stadium and a car pulls up and we were expecting Gardner and I think we were expecting his wife too. Mm-hmm. And Gardner comes out and his wife comes out, his parents come out and his kids come out. And there was just this idea that, you know, Brett Gardner knows how lucky he is and he knows that his kids are going to grow up extremely wealthy, extremely privileged. And it's important to him that they see the other side and that the importance that you know, being lucky means trying to pass along some of their luck. And these are young kids. I mean, you know, it's a lot to expect that they truly got every bit of the message of that day. But you can bet that, you know, the more they do things like this, the more it becomes a part of their life that, you know, being fortunate and being privileged means, you know, keeping an eye on the people who don't have it so good. And I thought that was really special that he made sure that this wasn't just about going out there, doing this event, getting a couple of camera snaps so that he could show that he was doing it. Certainly, that's not why you bring your kids to something like this. You bring your kids because it's important to you that it becomes important to them. And for Brett Gardner specifically, Brett Gardner and his wife do so much work in the community in their hometown in Charleston, where they both live in the off season and in New York, and they do not publicize most of it. It's all done kind of under the radar and they don't they don't need the publicity. They just know how fortunate they are and they know how important it is to share their fortune with those who are not as lucky as they are. And so for him to show up with his entire family does not surprise me one bit because it's so important to him to give back and show his kids that like this is what we do and it's not for any reason other than because we should do it. Mm-hmm. It's not to get publicity. It's not to say like, oh, look at how great we are. It is because we are fortunate and these other people might not be and we should help because we are, we are in the position to help. And that was important to Gardner and, and David Robertson, who I mentioned in the story, who gives back to his community back in Alabama, which was hit with the tornadoes a few years back. So he and his wife do High Socks for Hope. It's just, and this is by no means an exhaustive list of all of the Yankees in the clubhouse who give back. A lot of them do other stuff under the radar that I didn't mention, but these these guys are kind of... I don't know, leading the way in showing that they have this platform and they're willing to do something with it, whether it's quietly or loudly. They want to make sure that their communities and the people who are important to them and the and the communities that are important to them are impacted because they can. Special story. It's a special week. You know, this is look, this is a really good team this year. This has been a very fun baseball season in a lot of ways. It's just, again, this is hokey, whatever you want to say. It's nice to have a week like this. It's nice to have a story like this in the magazine this month. Just, I'm not going to say the baseball stuff isn't important. I think the baseball stuff is very important. I think the baseball stuff is why this stuff is able to happen. But, you know, it really is special to see the things that our our affiliation with the Yankees makes us, you know, a part of, in a sense. Like, I appreciate the ways that Hope Week elevates my job in mm-hmm. general and my position here. I appreciate the work that the players do. I, I very much appreciate the work that, you know, the PR staff just doesn't sleep this week. Um, I mean that really sincerely. Yeah, they're, no, they're all over town prepping this stuff. Run ragged. But it's special. And it's a special time to be a part of the Yankees family. I know it's special for the players. I know it's special for the people who get to enjoy the events. And it's just a really great time to, you know, get to see this stuff happen. Yeah, so look for our coverage of Hope Week in the July issue in this June issue, which is on sale now. You can find 
My story is called Passing the Torch, and coming up on this episode of the podcast, you'll hear from some of my interviews that I did for the story from Cece Sabathia, Luis Severino, those kinds of guys. And after that, we're going to talk to one of our other writers and editors, Thomas Golianopoulos, about a story he did, a really interesting story about Chin Ming Wong in a documentary that's coming out about the picture. So stick around. For my story on players who form foundations, I wanted to know what drives them to give back. And I talked to a lot of people about this. In the following clips, you'll hear from Cece Sabathia, Luis Severino, and Brett Gardner about what drove them to give back and why it's so important to them. Here's some of those conversations. So when did you know that you wanted to kind of form your own charity and do that? Um, I don't know. I think when I, when whenever we started the foundation is when we wanted to start the charity I think I've always wanted to give back I think I've always you know had that I think uh, you know I was tell a story about Dave meeting Dave Stewart and you know that, that was the reason why I wanted to you know the impact that he had on me was the reason why I wanted to start giving back and you know try to do that for kids so I think that's always been I think starting the foundation was just a, a, a formality you know giving away so much money and not going to the places where I thought it should be going so we want to do our own thing. How have you kind of grown in the years that you started doing the charity? How have you seen your impact kind of leave an impact? I don't know. I mean, I think just the time and the, and the love and the care that, I mean, basically my whole family puts into it. I mean, it's a family thing. I mean, our family and our friends, our, our extended friends, um, even people that, you know, we've met through doing different events have become family and, and stuff like that. So. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to, in that aspect, and I think as far as leaving an impact, just seeing kids walking around my hometown with backpacks that I gave them, or um, you know the Boys and Girls Club over here in the Bronx, you know the kids, the bikes that we gave them one year, you know the field renovations, just different things, um, big or small, you know I think uh, it all it all makes a difference. What kind of a difference does something like that make? Because you don't think like, oh, you're just giving a kid a backpack, but really you're giving them something that they don't have, they don't have access to. Yeah, and, and that's that's something that, uh, you know, I think as a parent and, you know, you want for your kids. So, you know, to be able to help somebody else's kids in that way, uh, that's something that you want to try to do. And you want, you know, kids to have stuff that you didn't have. Um, you know, I was in the same situation. You know, it was tough getting school supplies and things like that, getting started for school. So, uh, you know, you want to start kids off on the right foot. You, I remember how good it felt when you got your backpack and all your binders and things like that and you're just ready for school so um, you know we, we want to you know have kids feel good about going to class. What's been an experience that's touched you the most that's, that's left you kind of feeling wow? Uh, they all they all do I think um, I don't know if there's one in particular I guess uh, mm, I don't know I always love spending time with the kids from the Boys and Girls Club um, just because I see myself in a lot of them, you know, I was the kid running around the Boys and Girls Club. So, anytime I get a chance to go to a club or hang out with kids at the club, I think uh, is is the most impactful for me. A lot of your teammates, past, present, have also given back. Is that something that you think young guys look up to when they see a veteran player forming a charity or going to these events? I think well, you hope so. I think that's the goal is to you know pass it down and keep it going. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that's that's always uh, the goal. I mean, I, when I was playing in Cleveland, you know, Jim Tomey was a big uh, guy in the community, and I always admired that about him. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, that makes a big difference. 
So you're starting a foundation, right? Yes. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, I mean, my wife and me, we had an idea to, you know, uh, giving back to the community. So we started uh, working. We started a foundation uh, for uh, education okay. in Dominica. I think uh, that is an important part of, of being somebody. So uh, we started doing that like two years ago. So we you know we take you know uh, books, uh, uh, backpacks, and even uh, presents. You know uh, that was uh, last year. We went over there. We have like maybe like 200 backpacks with inside they have like pens, like three or four uh, books and stuff like that. And this is for kids in the Dominican? Yeah, I mean, what age? Uh, any, age. any age. And we're trying to do it here too, mm -hmm. you know, half and half, here in New York and Dominican. And, you know, uh, it's working, it's a working project. Why was it important to you to do something like that? Because I know I seen a lot of Dominican players uh, and you know a lot of players that came here and don't know nothing about you know I don't know even to write or something like that. But I think that's important for me and how to learn English too. So if you're smart, if you go to school, if you you know maybe go to college, uh, got a great opportunity to learn English here. What have you learned from watching guys like? Carlos Beltran and Cece Sabathia and those guys with their charities. Have they influenced you at all? Of course. Not even, even those guys. Even uh, Pedro Martinez, too, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's great, you know, giving back to the community because, you know, I, I've been to a lot of stuff, you know. I've been to a school with only one book, and, and I know how hard it is, you know, to be in that situation. So that's why I want to help everybody. What does it mean to you when you see the faces or when you give back to them? How does it make you feel? It makes me feel happy, very happy, you know, because, you know, I'm doing stuff that I like, and I know that I'm helping uh, somebody else. Do you feel uh, a responsibility as an athlete or as somebody with a platform, somebody who's made it to give back? Is that something that you feel yeah. you need to yeah, of course. I feel like, you know, if God is giving me the, the opportunity to make money and, and, and being here, I think that I have to pay back. And I know you do a lot in Charleston and here, and your wife does a lot. So what? why do you want to do that? Well, I mean, I think it's important to... Uh... You know, I just think it's important to use the platform that we've been given to uh, to try and give back to, you know, not just the community here in New York, but the community where we're from in Charleston and the place we call home. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, being with the Yankees for so long, I think that um, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, things that you can do to, to use kind of um, the platform that we've been given and the image that we have to, to try and give back and to help people that are in need that may be less fortunate than us. And, um, you know, it's always something that, um, you know, always enjoy putting a smile on somebody's face. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. All right, welcome back. Uh, I'm here with Thomas Golianopoulos. Welcome, Thomas. Good to be here. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Thomas, for the June issue, you wrote a really cool story about Chin Ming Wong and a documentary that came out, is, is coming out. Tell me, wh where can we it find has, the documentary? It has played at a few film festivals on the West Coast, 
and it is premiering on July 29th as part of the New York Asian American International Film Festival. That's cool. Uh, so tell us about it. What made you want to write the story and what did you learn while writing the story and, and what's the documentary about? Well, our own Nathan Makaborski was the one who brought the documentary to my attention. Someone added him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta um, get those mentions. Yeah, informing him that there was a documentary coming out. And um, as soon as I heard about it, I jumped at the chance just because I feel like um, Chin Ming Wong had such a great story in that he was the unquestioned ace of the staff for two years. Won 19 games both times, was the game one starter in the playoffs both years and then it all went away it all went away and like with one wrong step literally um, he got injured uh, running the bases in Houston during an interleague game and um, that was it for his career basically so of course I jumped at the chance and I contacted the director um, over email and luckily he was showing a screening that afternoon <laughs> <laughs> so I hurried down from the Bronx to um, Midtown West, and uh, I watched uh, a screening of the film, and then we set up plans for uh, to interview Chin Ming in Orlando that week, that same weekend. So it all came together really quickly. It was great. I was um, I was so glad that everything worked out. And um, documentary is it's it's a strange documentary um, in that it uh, starts out as a pretty moody piece. Um, like there are a lot of shots of uh, Chin Ming like walking and staring into the distance <laughs> and um, there's like this like low ambient like uh, score to the film but um, towards the end when he makes his comeback it turns into like almost like a sports documentary with like a, there's even like a workout montage set to music and um, of course the film culminates with uh, Chin Ming breaking 90 miles per hour on his sinker again and getting a major league contract with the Kansas City Royals. So it's a it's a comeback story. It's all about Chin Ming Wong trying to come back after all these injuries that you, well, the one injury and then coming back from multiple injuries, subsequent injuries afterward. Yeah. The best thing about it, though, is the access that uh, Chin Ming granted the filmmaker Frank Chen. Frank was a, a huge Chin Ming Wong fan. Um, also of Taiwanese descent, uh, he's actually Canadian, and uh, he made like a pilgrimage basically from uh, from school where he was studying uh, at RISD to come up here uh, to New York to watch Chiming pitch in 2005 during his rookie season, and they eventually met uh, through a mutual friend in Scranton um, when Chiming Wong was pitching for the Rail Riders uh, in 2013, and uh, later on he proposed the uh, subject of a documentary to Chin Ming's longtime agent. And um, after a little bit of a back and forth, uh, Chin Ming finally agreed. And uh, he, uh, Frank was on the road with Chin Ming for two years through 20 some odd cities. They went to three countries. They were in, uh, they went to Taiwan together and the access was, was pretty incredible. Like he was there when Chin Ming got released from the Atlanta Braves in, um, June 2015, which was almost like the end of his career, basically. Like he had to decide at that point whether he was going to continue or, or hang it up, and uh, he actually drove from Georgia to um, Maryland to pitch in the International League, and um, Frank was there along the way, and um, you get to see all that in the film. 
it's highly recommended. Even though, even I'm, I'm not just saying that because <laughs> I wrote a story about it. If you like baseball uh, and you like uh, sports documentaries, it's definitely for you. It sounds really interesting, and and like you were saying, Chin Ming Wong was the ace of the staff for two years here at the Yankees, and then just disappeared. It seemed like, and you got to sit with Chin Ming Wong. And, and have an interview with him too, right? Yeah, I went down to Orlando. We met on a um, Saturday afternoon in a strip mall right outside Orlando. And uh, we sat there for an hour with Frank. Frank was there to act as an interpreter. Ching Ming speaks English, but when it comes to longer interviews, he was much more comfortable using a, an interpreter. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was, uh, he, was, he was pretty open. Uh, he, uh, we spoke for an hour afterwards. Um, we all had lunch together, and um, I mean, he flashed a bit of the wit that, like, Ron Guidry, um, who I interviewed for the piece, also um, brought up. Like, we were um, sitting in the parking lot waiting for someone, and um, we were sitting near this Bentley. And um, I was thinking the whole time, like, wow, Chin Ming Wong rolled up in a Bentley to. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, to the strip to mall. This, to the strip mall in Orlando <laughs> for this interview. And then um, some guy, like, just, like, walked past us and, like, got in the car and drove away. And I, I told him that. I was like, I, I was like, here we were sitting here, and the whole time I thought this was your car. And he was like, yeah, I wish. <laughs> but, I mean, don't feel bad for him because I'm pretty sure he was driving a Mercedes truck. But, I mean, it wasn't a Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> he's still fine. He's okay. Yeah, he's, he's, doing, he's doing okay. What uh, what other big takeaways did you get from both the documentary and talking to Chin Ming? He he's in your piece. You said he's kind of soft spoken. He's humble, and it took him a while to even open up to Frank. But after he did finally agree to it, he granted such access. Why did he do that? Well, they developed a friendship. Uh, like Frank is uh, isn't you know this was his like debut film. Like he had done one um, short doc on indie rock. And uh, so Frank's whole like belief system is that, uh, you know, the the strength of a documentary is not on, um, you know, the experience of a filmmaker. It's it uh, it works uh, based on the relationship between the filmmaker and the subject, you know, which you see in the access given. Basically, they struck up a friendship, and um, uh, Chiming just got more and more comfortable with him. And it wasn't even like a vocal um, acknowledgement of it. It was just that he would just kick him out less often. <laughs> he would let him stick around a little longer than usual. And um, that's what happened. He just got comfortable around him. Again, like over two years and all the time they spent on the road together and all the dinners they had together, um, like it would only be natural for, for that to occur. The thing that, uh, that, that struck me about um, talking to him is the fact that uh, Qingming never announced his retirement. Uh, he pitched in 2016 for the Royals. He went uh, six and zero with a four point two two ERA and thirty eight relief appearances, which is not great, but um, not terrible. Not but terrible. Yeah. And um, but the Royals release him in September um, after Chiming goes on the DL with the biceps tendonitis. So his career is, for all intention, I mean, for, it's his career is over uh, basically. Uh, he works out a lot. He says he. I asked him if he still throws, and he switched over to English and said once in a while. But um, he's not retired. He's just inactive. And I feel like a lot of it is just the um, reluctance of a ball player to admit that it's over. Mm -hmm. um, when I asked him about it, he 
talked about how much he misses the camaraderie and the the goal of like 25 guys working together to win a championship he holds out hope but it's it's not he realizes you know he's old he's a reliever and um it's uh, pretty much a long shot for him for him to get signed at this point going um going back into the while I was researching the piece the thing that struck me was about how much baseball has changed in the dozen years since Chin Ming Wong um, was uh, the Yankees ace. Uh, this guy finished second in the American League Cy Young Award voting in 2006. Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted he won 19 games, but he had an ERA of, I believe it was like 3.73. Um, he averaged a major league low 3.14 strikeouts per nine innings. Hitters put the ball in play yeah, against him. Contact, for yeah, sure. eighty-four point two percent of their plate appearances against him. I mean, this guy would struggle to get a job in the rotation in a rotation today with the way the numbers are trending. How like it seems that GMs just uh, want high strikeouts, and though though he did throw in the high nineties, he like you as you said, he pitched to contact. Like in his major league debut, he got fifteen ground ball outs and seven innings. So it's just it's just crazy how much the game has changed and how. Uh, pitchers are evaluated, whereas this guy was, um, we looked at him as an ace, but if you use today's metrics, it would bottom be, of the rotation starter. Be a bottom of the rotation <laughs> starter, yeah. Well, it's a really cool piece, Thomas. I really enjoyed it, and um, I, I would I would like to see the documentary when it, uh, when it, when it comes out. When is it? July, Where can we find it? July 29th, as part of the New York Asian American International Film Festival. That's awesome. And, and what's um, the piece called in Yankees Magazine? The piece is called A Different Sort of Happiness, and we did not mention the name of the documentary. Yes, which that's is, a good idea. Yeah, which is, <laughs> awful plug, which is uh, Late Life, the Chin Ming Wong Story. Late Life, the Chin Ming Wong Story. And it's it a, is a double entendre because his bread and butter pitch, the sinker, had incredible late life. It would appear to be a strike. It would like a 95 mile per hour pitch that was about thigh high and then at the last second it would dip and dive seven eight inches low and run away from a right-handed hitter which would produce all those weak ground balls very cool thomas great job on the story uh like i said check it out in the june issue of yankees magazine thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast check us out online we're on twitter at yanks magazine rate and review and subscribe to the podcast and send us your your suggestions and notes with podcasts at yankees.com thanks everybody talk to you soon